Mormon Discussions and its lineup of great podcasts is about helping Latter-day Saints like you tackle deeper, complex issues within Mormonism. All financial support goes directly towards keeping these podcasts alive and supporting listeners like you. To support the programs on this podcast, please consider becoming a premium subscriber. Or making a donation at mormondiscussions.org. Again, that's Mormon Discussions, plural with an S on the end, dot org. Donate today and support programs like Mormon Discussion, Radio Free Mormon, Mormon Awakenings, Mormon History Podcast, Marriage on a Tightrope, and others. If these programs benefit you, and you want to see these continue, please consider making an annual donation starting today. All donations are tax-exempt inside the United States, and go towards keeping the podcast alive. Mormon, Mormon Discussion, discussion and, and its lineup of great programs. programs. Helping you navigate Mormonism one episode at a time. And now, on to what you've been waiting to hear. Welcome to another episode of Mormon Discussion Podcast. I'm your host, Bill Real. Grateful for this chance to sit down with you today. Today, we are going to have a conversation with Hans Matson, a former area authority out of Sweden for the LDS Church. Hans Matson, uh, while serving as an area authority and after his release from that calling, uh, began the deconstruction of Mormonism. He came across the messy history and began asking himself the tough questions and asking others. As he slowly deconstructed his faith, he reached out to LDS leaders and to others for answers to questions. The answers that he got or the responses he got back were unsatisfactory. And little by little, Hans Matson lost his faith in the LDS church as the only true and living church upon the earth. So today we have that conversation. I didn't want to spend a lot of time telling Hans' story, but I wanted to be sure that anybody listening who didn't know who Hans Matson was uh, might know a little bit about him before we begin. So I thought I would just read the quick biography out of his Wikipedia page, and then we'll jump into the interview. Hans Matson was raised in the LDS Church. As a young man, he served as a missionary, as is common in the LDS Church, and was assigned to the Central British Mission, headquartered in Birmingham, England. There he learned English, despite some difficulty, and felt his religious convictions grow. After returning from his mission, he married Birgitta, a convert to the Mormon faith, and they have five children. Matson and his twin brother, Leif, both gained senior positions as leaders in the LDS Church. First Hans, then Leif, served as stake presidents in the Gothenburg, Sweden stake in April 2000. Hans became the first Swede to serve as an area authority. He held a secular job in technology marketing, but traveled widely in Europe on the weekends overseeing the church. He stood down from the position of area authority in April 2005 when he had heart surgery. Members began asking Matson about criticisms that they had read on the internet, including the many wives of Mormon founder Joseph Smith, the authenticity of the Book of Abraham, and the exclusion of black people from the priesthood until 1978. Matson was dissatisfied with the answers that he in turn received from the church's highest authorities in 2010, and in 2013, he publicized his own doubts on a Mormon Stories podcast episode with John DeLynn and also in the New York Times, stating that I don't want to hurt the church. I just want the truth. 
And now, on to what you've been waiting to hear. Hans Matson, welcome to Mormon Discussion. How are you this morning? Thank you, Bill. I'm doing good. And for me, it's afternoon, but I'm still good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Here it is 7.01 a.m. on the 10th of January, and uh, you said you're seven hours ahead of me, correct? Well, we are. it's uh, 3 o'clock p.m. The, the audience should know uh, who you are. Obviously, there's the Swedish Rescue, which has been all over. And I would suggest for any listener who's like, who's Hans Matson and what's the Swedish Rescue? Uh, I would recommend they go do some internet searches because there's quite a bit of fascinating stuff there. And, and most of that ground's been covered in depth. Uh, we may ask a question or two just to kind of see if we can get maybe one more layer deeper on some of this. But uh, for those who are listening, uh, Hans was a area authority for the church. And like so many of us, uh, ran into the messiness of Mormonism that that uh, had Hans and, and him and his wife de- begin deconstructing Mormonism. And, and so this conversation should be a blast. But Hans, I wonder if you just would start us off. For the, for the two people listening who have no clue who you are, would you mind just sharing kind of a, a brief bio about, about you, know, you and whatever else you want to tell us just to kind of get the ball rolling? Well, yes, I do. Uh, first, to start with, I'm a uh, third-generation Mormon. My grandfather was the first member, and uh, uh, we are from Sweden, in Gothenburg, in Swedish is Göteborg, and uh, I have um, been uh, on a mission in England, Birmingham, in 1970 to 72. I uh, married my sweet wife Birgitta 1974 and uh, and uh, we got five wonderful children one of three boys and two girls and now we also have 13 uh, grandchildren I've been serving in the church as a grand branch president a bishop a stake president counselor to the stake president and uh, and also, though, in the third quorum in the 70, as the area authority 70. This was from 2000 to year 2005. And uh, after uh, five years ago, we moved to Spain to have more sunshine and more healthy weather to live in. I think, is that okay for you? Yeah, that's beautiful. So I just want to talk. I want to talk for a moment. You, you the reason we've, we're having you on. Obviously, your story is fascinating, and I'm hoping to dive into a few things that maybe others haven't covered before. Because I, I, I will tell you, and this interview may be a little more strange uh, to the audience in terms of how I'm maybe stammering through it. And, and the reason for that is, I was so deeply touched. Uh, I was right in the middle, Hans, of my own like deconstruction of Mormonism and trying to put these pieces back together. When I listened to the the multi-part episode on Mormon stories originally, years ago, and uh, to hear you tell the story, here's just this, you can just tell by listening to you. You're a soft guy. You're, you're kind. You're nice. Uh, your faith community in your area, you were well-respected. Um, and then as I hear you kind of go through the anguish of this, uh, process and it is anguishing. Um, it, man, it was touching for me. It gave me a space to say, like, yeah, 
there is an area authority that's higher up. I served as a bishop in the church, and, and that's one level of leadership. And then here's this guy who's a little higher up than that, and he's seeing the same mess that I'm seeing. And I think a lot of people are seeing it now, and I think the church itself is obviously just with the recent uh, temple changes that came in the last week, the church is having to adjust to its young people walking away in in what I think is certainly a significant number, though, again, I don't know that it's as much as some of the critics think that that exodus is. But all of this process has gotten you to to sit down and to write a book. I want you to tell us a little bit um, about the book. It's titled Truth Seeking, the story of a high-ranking Mormon leader, Hans Matson, seeking sincere answers from his church, but instead uh, finding contempt fear, doubt, and eventually peace. Um, we know your story, but tell us maybe the, the moment uh, you sat down and said, look, I just got to put this down on paper. What was going on there? I was uh, a home teacher for Christina Hanke, who was an old friend of us since we were 17 years. And she was a convert. And uh, she gone through the same process that I have. And, and uh, we talked a lot, and she said, I think you should really write a book about your life because it's important for for a documentary and and of course for yourself. So I took it in my mind and I talked to my wife about it. And uh, I also I think one of the good reasons I wrote the book together with Christina Hanke was just to settle my own mind in peace to kind of make a, a document, this is who I am, this is what I have uh, experienced, and so on. And also, I was thinking about, you know, we have five children that we try to raise in the church, the true and only living church on this earth, and, and they were really good, and they still are, but also really believing in, in what we were telling them. and. And and uh, now, when I have these doubts, how can I tell them? How can I say, I'm sorry, I taught you all this, but uh, this is another way out now for me. And of course, there is also my larger family. I think I have uh, 200 at least uh, relatives living in the United States from my father's side. And also uh, my brothers in my own family and their children, that kind of, how can I face them? And, 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 and some of them don't want to even talk to me about why I have the doubts and why I'm seeking the truth. And, and in my mind, I said, well, if I write the book, I hope some of them will pick it up and at least try to understand why. I have these doubts and why I left the church and 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 uh, because it's it's uh, hard to explain when you don't have any communication with the people you love and then of course you know there is a, there is generations coming after me my grandkids and they probably and we hope they grow up and have families and kids and I think some Sometime in their life, they will ask the question, you know, we used to be Mormons or members of the Latter-day Saint Church, and what happened? And in my mind, I think that's a document that they at least can find out 
from my own mind and mouth that this is what's happened. So I think that's some four reasons why I think the book is well valuable. Well, of course, when we when we were in the ex Mormon conference in Salt Lake City, and we had this presentation from ourselves uh, and the journey we just uh, gone through and still do. Uh, there was so many. I can't believe how many people really, really are hurting, are hurt by of the church. I mean, they, 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 the neighbors, the teachers, the school, the working mates, uh, scout leaders, whatever is sports, and everyone is a Mormon, and there is tremendous, tremendous, tremendous pressure social pressure on, on those uh, people to even try to say, I have different thoughts, I have doubts, because you, re- you really, you really put yourself out on the, on the street to people to feel things about you that you don't want them to feel about you. So it, it's, it's also f- so they can, I think, a support to all the people who leave the church. And that they're not alone. There is uh, something in uh, their journey that they really are not alone about. Uh, I'm I'm one of them. (laughs) No, no, it makes perfect sense. Um, As you were sitting there talking, the idea that some of your family won't talk to you, uh, it's it's been a similar story for me in that... By speaking up, there's tons of people, I know you've experienced this too, there's tons of people who come forward and say like, you didn't know this, but I'm struggling with the same thing and I didn't want to say anything, but since you spoke first, like now I know it's safe to talk to you. And so as, as I've done the podcast, I've had that experience, but I've also had people in my, my parents aren't members, so I don't have to deal with it on my side of the family, but on my wife's side of the family, my in-laws, it's it's... Either A, I get negative judgment from them, um, and, and I get it because I'm attacking the thing they love. And on the other hand, um, there's also this silence. Like, there's something wrong here, and I just don't want to talk about it with you, right? Um, I, I maybe talk a little more about that. You don't have to be specific about family if you don't want to in terms of names and things, but maybe talk about what it feels like to have family members give you silent treatment when all you want are these people to understand you and to validate you. Yeah, that, that's really, really is a hard question, and I don't really know the answers, really, but the feelings I got is that one day you are perfectly fine and you love your brothers and you love your congregation members and you feel like in heaven just to see them and you just be a good guy together with them, my friends. And suddenly, uh, for my part, it was when the New York Times had this article uh, about uh, me and Begitta on the first page there. Uh, when they comes out, suddenly my friends are not my friends anymore. There's a different feeling. Some of them walk on the other side of the street when I see when I see me. And but also, as you said, few of them come up and said, you know, I understand you, but I don't know how to talk to you. And some say uh, I agree with you, but you know. 
I have a lot of pressure from my family and 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 uh, my wife's family, so I just keep keep on going. So what I really, really wonder is why is it so hard to ask what happened, Hans? What is it that you have learned? What, what makes you change your mind? And why do you have these struggles? I mean, if I have a divorce, I guess my brothers and my friends would ask, oh, what can I do for you? What is the problem? Uh, I want to talk to me. But when is this about this special church? It's, it's hard. You can't talk about it. I mean, that's maybe 50-50, though, that, that, that really understand. I want to know and give you support. And uh, and uh, some the rest of them don't. They don't want, they're scared. They want, that I want to know. Like one of my brothers said, I don't want to know I'm living a happy life. And uh, I, I don't want you to tell me anything. And I had I had a very special, uh, just I think it was six, seven months ago, a dream that my father come and talk to me about my book, and and uh, I said, you know, Dad, you my father, I don't want, I don't want you to tell me that you accept everything what I do, but I want you to know about it. At least you understand why I am doing what I'm doing. You don't have to believe it, but just do it. And then in the dream he says, Hans, I shall read the book. And and <laughs> I wrote it down and I sent it out to my brothers. And, and uh, one of them said, uh, maybe I will read a book as well, but that one didn't answer uh, the letter. And of course, one of my brothers are really, really uh, uh, you know, on the same page and left the church also. And he's a really good support of mine. Yeah, we, we all need people around us to, to walk this path with. It It is in some ways a really lonely path. And in some ways you have to do parts of it all by yourself. And that's that's difficult enough. Um, I agree with you, Hans, that I always thought that if, like, so when I served as a bishop and I knew the church had some messiness to it, and I had a member or two while I was serving as a bishop who approached me and said, like, hey, I'm having a faith crisis. And all I did was wrap my arms around him and said, yeah, come in, let's talk, let's discuss, like, What's bothering you? Let's see if I can offer any advice and let me let me be honest and validate where things don't seem to add up very well. And I don't get cuz you're right. If if we have some traumatic thing happen in our life, it seems normal to expect those who love us to want to stand next to us and ask how they can be of help and to be willing to listen to our stories and yet on this thing, whatever this thing is, uh, and it's not just a Mormon thing, it happens in other religions as well, specifically high-demand fundamentalist religions, but in religion, it feels like nobody wants to really sit with that. Everybody senses that this thing is going to be disruptive if they give an ear to that story. Does that make sense? Yeah. Um, I want to talk for a moment about your beliefs today, and you can say as much as you want to. I know that when 
when our faith gets disrupted, we start deconstructing things. And sometimes that deconstruction can go to everything. We can deconstruct God, deconstruct Christianity, um, and, and arrive at various places. Where, like, where is Hans Matson today in terms of belief? Uh, say as much as you'd want to. Mm. Uh, to understand what I am today, I just, there was it's a journey, and uh, one of my thoughts, and I think even in the book I say I feel I'm lost, and and, and yeah, I mean that really, really positive way because when you're lost, you can be found, and there are so many things you can have people find you at, at least, and and uh, you know what's the big uh, black hole kind of in the spiritual life when when everything crumbled around me and underneath my feet and you doubt you doubt God you doubt Jesus you doubt more or less everything and you don't trust anybody because you are so shook up by what you have gone through and it really is is heart aching and um uh, so I tried once uh, to, to uh, some years ago, tried to read just the New Testament to see if I can get the feelings of, of uh, a, a good spirit of Jesus the Christ. And it was really tough. I couldn't because I was, I couldn't read it. I couldn't manage to, to get myself around what, what was happening in the New Testament as well. But since we moved to Spain and since I kind of find my peace again uh, by just living a great life. And uh, of course, my wife has been very, very good to me and gave me strength. I contacted the Church of Sweden who has a, a congregation here where we live in Torrevieja. And uh, I just talked to the priest there, uh, and uh, he was so sweet and didn't put any pressure. He said, you know, Hans, if you feel to come to when I preach, you're welcome and take your own time. And and, and now in, I started to uh, to feel really good and understand more about the biblical Jesus. I don't know if I would say I'm kind of a... The Christian, as Christians say they are, but I'm, I'm, I have faith in Jesus again, and I try to understand who Jesus really is. And uh, I, I mean, in the, in uh, where we read the New Testament together, and we are allowed to ask questions and understand. So I think I'm a Christian in the way that. I now more or less understand Jesus in a different way and what he have done for uh, all of us and uh, and uh, and uh, I think the grace of Christ is giving more more uh, sense to me and I think I will understand that even more but I'm still very careful so, uh, yeah, I'm kind of a little bit afraid not to be deceived again. And uh, one of the things that really growing in my mind is, as I describe in, in the book, that when I really felt low, I was sitting with my wife in the garden of her brother, and 
someone just was jogging around there on the street on their ways down to the sea and he comes back and then he come back again and then he goes come into the garden and he just said oh, you have to excuse me but I just have a prompting as to go in here and say you know Jesus really loves you and you know I've never seen this guy before I haven't seen him afterward but then it was really powerful but this growing in, in, in strength and I think wow you know you don't have to be an organized religion to, to have spiritual experience you can have it as a person just between you and Jesus the Christ so today I'm not I'm not belonging to any organized organization but I, I feel I, I, I believe in Jesus the Christ and, and I love to and I have an and 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 uh, and I think the word is would be eager and I wanted to know more about him. What denomination uh, is that over there in Sweden that you're talking about? The the Church of Sweden is is a Lutheran Lutheran, yeah. Yeah, and, and I I'll tell you having gone through this deconstruction process, uh I, I still find a ton of value in Jesus, and I'm a little different than you. I, I don't, I no longer believe, or at least I have a lot of serious doubts uh, about about the Savior and, and His resurrection and those types of things. But man, I still love the New Testament, Hans. I still love reading yeah. about Christ, and I think He's just a great model for discussion and human development and how we can mm. be our best selves. So I, I'm touched when you when you say that uh, you still find value in Christ. That's Beautiful. I, I want to talk for a moment. Um, we we all again, hopefully, listeners who don't know your story will go do a search and find some of the places where you've spoken before and the New York Times article you're speaking of. But as all of this was going on, we heard what you were doing and who you were interacting with uh, on on the outside in front of everybody. But I want to ask you this, which is behind the scenes. Uh, I had had private conversations with Elder Holland, with Marlon Jensen. Uh, I had had private conversations with Terrell Givens and scholars in the church. Uh, I had had conversations with apologists, with Fair Mormon. And I know how some of that goes, but at the same time, you want so bad for somebody to come forward and say, look, I'm going to give you the right answer to all these questions, and it's going to fit and make you feel good again. I'm curious, behind the scenes, because you were an area authority, there had to have been some level of like, oh, yeah, I can reach out to elder so-and-so, or I can reach out to uh, this leader in the church, or maybe I can reach out to this person, he'll know me. Was there any effort to reach out to other voices besides kind of the stories we've been told so far? Have you? Have, was there any conversations behind the scenes with some of these folks to try and put some of this back together, and I'm wondering what your experience was with that. Well, you already heard about Marlene Jensen that I really love, and I think he's a Christ-like person, and and uh, he is also really, really sweet and understandable. And his concern is more or less that you still have a faith in Jesus and everything will be all right. But... Uh, there is another guy, no, sorry, 
brother in the church, <laughs> uh, who also was general authority when I served in Europe, and his brother Hafen, I think is known here, written is that, in, is that Bruce well, C. Hafen? Yes, it is, yeah. We served together in, in Europe here, and, and uh, when he was up in Sweden some years ago, I, I took a chance to talk to him about my doubts and my feelings, and what I can remember was that he said, uh, because I asked, why is it that isn't that uh, some other 15 don't even mention this? Why don't they come out and say, hey, listen, this is what it looks like, and 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 uh, this is the answers to the, the questions. And he said, you know, if the church should go out and uh, tell them about the real history, uh, I think we will lose too many of the youth in the church because they have a lot of other things that bother them. And I know I'm not telling you I quote him exactly. But this is what he said, and for me, is is sad that the church on that level don't be more accurate and kind of loving to give the right answers, and instead they blame you as the one who destroyed the church, like some of men of the my friends used to say, why do you do this to the church? And uh, I tried to say, well, I haven't done anything. I was just ignorant because the church had done that to the members. So I'm just more or less suffering from it. Or at least uh, that's what I felt. So some some other persons that really was big help for me was uh, Greg Prince, the writer and the scholar who 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 been writing the book of uh, uh, the biography of David O. McKay and yeah and we talk so much together and he he's I like him a lot but actually there is no <laughs> answers that can support the old way the church presents his history there is no answers. Hell, Tom Paris said they had a manuscript, and I think we're still looking for it. There is no book, no manuscript, and uh, and and uh, they, they what they usually say is uh, remember the good feelings you had when you had the belief in the church. Well, yeah, you're right, but it's nothing to do with the real history. I mean, good feelings. You can have a good feeling a lot of different places. Yeah, every everybody in religion feels good feelings, right? Of course, and that should do because it's hard to stay in the religion if you don't. Yeah, I I think you make a great point, which is the leaders of the church, and I've had the same experience. Why don't we talk about this stuff? And the point being, if we talk about it, people more people will leave. And I think the reality is the church understands, and this should be understood by all of us as pointing at something. But if the church were to lay all of its information out objectively, say, look, there's two sides to a story. Here's all the facts. Here's what one side says. Here's what the other side says. And you you read through all this and you make up your mind. The reality is the evidence against the church's claims is so significant that 
people would leave left and right um, in, in three, four, five times the, the growth rate of that happening today um, without the church doing that, right? Like, it, like the, yeah. the, story, the story is so strong in the critics' favor in terms of demolishing all of these, these narratives that we've told that the church, the only way it can hang on is to help the hope members that, the only way it can hang on is to hope members don't read, to hope members don't look into this stuff, right? Yeah. That's, that's what uh, we talked about on, on this special secret meeting we had in New York when we talked about the uh, no, essays coming out and that wanted to have levels that, I mean, in, you mean, I mean, uh, regular members, you see the, 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 the kind of first text that says, uh, this is the reason why we have plural marriage and, and they, and, uh, they think, okay, I, I don't want it to look in it anymore. But then there are members who want to uh, go deeper and deeper and try to understand more about it. And, uh, of course, if you have different levels, you only have a few of them that go all the way to to find out. And uh, most most of the members are happy because the leader says no problem. You know, I know about it, that, and I'm still active, and I believe. And some most of the members that are TBM will say, "Great, I don't need to do that because they already done it." And that's a danger because then you always or rely, have to rely on someone else, the leader. And, you know, the leader, as I was myself, we're no different. We're just human beings that have our good sides and bad sides, and we pray a lot, and, and we try to do what's right, and we don't do the right things all the time. But the hard thing is to, 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 to uh, when you say this is, the Lord talking in God, and you I mean you cannot blame someone else instead of yourself. Uh, I remember one of the uh, meeting, we were leadership meeting when we were taught, and uh, President Hinckley was the president of the church, and he says, you know, there are quite a few challenges in the church, and if this was just. Uh, the church built on on uh, humans. We wouldn't make it. We couldn't make it. But he said it's it's the Lord Church, and He will find a way for us to handle it. Uh, and and of course, uh, then I didn't know anything about what I know now, and I understand what he was talking about more or less. I understand it more now, at least. Yeah, it seems like the the teaching. We, we give to members as you can't live on borrowed light. And then on the other hand, when someone raises these concerns, we ask them to live on borrowed light. Like, hey, I know these issues and they're not yeah. a problem for me. So don't you worry your little heart about them. <laughs> yeah. We try to give them kind of a safe place to live and don't worry them. And, and when... And when I still worry, you you blame them instead not to believe in things they said you should believe in. Yeah. Yeah. Even even the wording you used when you first started this interview with me, you said, "Look, I had doubts," and yeah. and that that type of language gives a member 
permission to look at you as the one who has the problem. Look, there's Hans over there yeah. with doubts. It's always yeah. the member with a faith crisis rather than the church with a truth crisis. Something that always kind of catches my eye is this idea. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I want to talk for a moment about just the particular area of Sweden and how the church is doing there. Again, listening to the Swedish rescue and listening to how the church handled that and asking people to make a decision. You know, you can either stay or you can go, but if you stay, you got to be quiet about this stuff. Mm. Um, and, And then also sensing after that it ended, there's kind of a... It felt like for me over here in America that there was kind of a wave of... Um, disbelief happening in Sweden. Can you maybe speak to what you perceive in the in the area that area? Like, what's going on there with the church? And is the church strong? Is it is it weakened? Are people leaving in droves? Is it maybe similar to what it is over here, where it's maybe you know two, three, maybe four families in a ward, which can be significant. Uh, but maybe isn't. Maybe it's only one family. What's kind of going on there in uh, in Sweden in terms of the strength of the church and what how they're dealing with all of this uh, messy history? Well, uh, <laughs> you know, I'm I'm not been in Sweden for many year for five years because we lived here in Spain, uh, but we still have some contacts and and uh, and uh, what I understand is that um, like. I guess it's the same in in America that very good young couples with kids serving missions, uh, good educated people are leaving. Not all of them, but quite a few. And the biggest problem I think the church in Sweden have is that they're losing their youth. The young people are 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 uh, leaving, but there's still always some left, you know. That, that still goes, and I think TBM is still TBM. Uh, and uh, one other thing I, I can say is that I can you see that the Swedish Mormon story uh, Facebook group that I started together with Christina Hanke. I mean, if I look at it, there's about thousand members there that left the church or just inactive, but or leaving and and it comes more or less every month some new leaving and and uh, there was a the last thing I got to know was when I released my book in Swedish in uh, last year in March at the Swedish television uh, channel 4 had a 20 minutes interview with me and Birgitta and one of the biggest newspapers had on the two pages uh, pictures and text about it and and uh, even some more uh, newspapers had then the, uh, then suddenly Elder Renlund, one of the 12 arrives in Sweden have a special meeting uh, out out the blue, as I think it is, and he talks about not having doubts, and the second harvest in Sweden is still going on, and we have the best time ever, and so on. Like like a lot of uh, 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 leaders who are brought up in America, uh, sorry to say that, but they're quite optimistical sometimes, and and 
think uh, they they're doing good, but in reality, there's really really nothing happened. So something I learned as a seventy was the Europe is a kind of a or age an aging church, meaning that the memories get older and older, and uh, the youth is not. Uh, coming in that uh, in that uh, amount that I think it should be healthy for the church. So, so the ward I used to be a bishop in, I know they are more than fifty percent down on the figures meeting, and being one hundred and twenty, they are about fifty now on the meetings and. And uh, the same in in the, some of the wards in Stockholm. They they yeah that they are people who used to visit because they had some grandkids being blessed and giving name. They can say, well, it's really you can really see there's quite a few uh, empty places now that wasn't before. So, but I can't t- give you any numbers, but. Of course, they are they are uh, leaving, and of course, the, the faithful are faithful, and some believe in Lorenzo's talk and think uh, he's. By the way, he said in his talk that everyone who left, they will come back, and it depends on you as members if you do the right thing. And even that really, really hurts in my heart because they blame the members if we're not coming back. So, so, so then they were, we have a conscience that not in harmony. I think when, when you have an imposter telling it's, it's your problem if they don't come back, but I promise they will. Yeah. I, I sense that, you know, for every hundred people who leave the church over discovering its messy history, I got to believe less than one uh, comes back to the church uh, with a regained testimony. It, it seems like that trajectory or that uh, movement only goes one direction. Yeah. But I, I, know, I don't think if someone comes back to the church, I can't believe they can have the same testimony as they had when I left, before they left. They have to be more open-minded, more kind of general, more kind of, I'm, I'm lacking all my friends. The community was nice and, you know, I can't believe that people going through the fake track can say, I'm still happy now. I don't have any problems. I, I have the same testimony as I used to have when I, before I left. No, I agree. Yeah, prob- probably, you know, maybe there's a few out there. I don't ever say, like, nobody does it that way. No, 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 you can't say that. But yeah, uh, in my mind, I have a heart. If I would think, what will I do? And I think, oh, it will be really, really tough. I mean, even if they say uh, we don't have the truth claims anymore, we change a lot and come back. And uh, can't you see it as a... One one of the Christian churches in the big Christian family, oh maybe, but it would be tough anyway. Yeah, no, I'm with you. The recent you just mentioned changes just in the last say week, maybe ten days here, ten days ago, yeah. the church made some significant changes to the temple. It took out essentially 
the majority uh, of its patriarchy out of the ritual of the endowment. And Mm. at the same time, the church put out several statements, including a video at the beginning of that endowment, that tries to avoid being vulnerable or talking about why those changes happened. Uh, It's almost as if the church said, look, we have a serious problem. People are leaving, and in part because they're offended by the patriarchy of the temple and by it being uh, maybe too long, too boring. Um, And so the church makes these changes to address that. But on the other end of it, they still want the general membership to perceive that this was a decision from the top down that came from Revelation. Jesus somehow spoke to these guys. Your thoughts on when the church makes what looks like a positive change, which I think is positive, Mm -hmm. uh, but on the other hand, lacks the vulnerability to have a real discussion about it. I think we to to understand how the 15 in the top will act, I think what Marlene Jensen said, Hans, you have to remember, it's a minefield. I mean, they are strong people that don't agree, and, and you have to use your uh, some uh, right tactic how to know them uh, and how to find them and how to talk to them. You know, it, 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 it's kind of a, uh, yeah, a minefield. And it really blew my mind when I heard this, that why can't you talk to anybody like a brother in Christ? Why should you be careful to mention that? And they kind of a, there is a high prestige, and I lose my face if I agree to do something. And and one of the biggest problems I think the church has is they never can agree that they comes from from below or from the grassroots going up. And that's also what I was taught, you know, when changing things, be careful. They, 15, have to have the last thought, and this should be their idea, that we have control, and this is why we change it, even if we all know that they come from uh, uh, from the grassroots up to the leaders. And I, I, I can't understand how that leadership could work like they do, because I guess they have to do with power, uh, control, and, and, uh, and of course being, being the, uh, the tools of, uh, God to, to, to guide in his church. But it isn't. It isn't. They get all the ideas from around, like Joseph Smith, he saw things and he took it in and changed a little bit, and then he works work with it. And I think it's the same thing today. So, but the different, I'm so happy that they do changes. It's, you know, if, if you think about the, the sisters in the church, how they have fought many of them to be respected as an equal, to not go to your husband to to come to Christ but that they have they are children of God as well and can have directly contact with him so the, the this um, patriarchal uh, 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 maybe I could say drama <laughs> it, it's 
it's, it's an Old Testament uh, way to look at things. And of course, I don't know if they get rid of it, but at least they change the changes in the temple. And that, of course, gives a lot of uh, more space for women to, to at least be equal with your husband. And I asked my wife, uh, what about your commitment in the temple to go through me as your husband to promise to follow me as I promised to follow Jesus. Now they don't have to do that. And uh, she asked, do you think I have to do it again to renew my covenants? <laughs> or do you still feel, think it could be a valid? valid? But uh, of course, we're not members anymore. So I guess it's not no problem for us. So. It is it, it is a funny discussion. And as you were saying all that, I'm I'm chuckling over here because these guys, these top fifteen, they want the members of the church to perceive them a certain way. Mm. And they tend to word every response in a way so as to keep TBMs, as you put it, mm. seeing them as this something special. And yet, as you and I, you know, understand and as you just pointed out, like these seem at times just to be, and and, I don't, and this is going to sound offensive, but 15 old guys who are behind the times, who are bickering with each other, and who collectively can't come to a healthy decision until it's 50 years too late. <laughs> is that yeah. is that kind of the perception? Again, I don't want you to use those words, but is that is that kind of the general no. perception that you seem to you seem to take as well? Some years ago, I said to, to Elder Marlene Jensen, when we talked to him, and Elder, Elder Raspan as well, quite a few of the 15 had to die before the church can be healthy again, meaning they had to get all the old thoughts and doctrines away so they can at least be in tune with the today's way of living and uh, I mean they live in a kind of fantasy world of uh, 1950s when family looks in a certain way that the the husband waving away uh, the wife (laughs) sorry the wife waving away the husband when he goes to work and she goes to take care of the kids and cleaning, cooking, and having more babies. I mean, that that's an old way to live. And, I mean, 1950s uh, way to live is, is not the way we live today. Yeah, and when, and when, Mar- when Marlon Jensen, when other f- leaders in the church or other people are responding and say, look, the old guard has to die. The, the old guys who hold those views just have to pass away before we can start to make changes. What, what they don't realize they're also saying is that Jesus doesn't have the ability to change these guys' minds, right? No, no. Because, and, they, <laughs> and how can they be in tune with the Spirit of the Lord and follow Christ when they don't even listen to and we think they have to die before. You know, reading the Greg, Gregor Prince book, David O. McKay, and, and David O. McKay, you know, had these thoughts about giving the black the priesthood. And there are three, I think it was, if I remember, three of the apostles away. And when they come home, they go against the the, the decision to give the 
priest to the blacks. And I mean, and and we are taught to follow the prophet. How how why don't they follow the prophet? How can they have such a strong opinion that, that they don't agree with the prophet to to support him? <laughs> I mean, that, you know, you get. You get uh, mixed up in your mind if you try to understand what we shall do and how they act and so on. Yeah. Well, sorry. <laughs> just... No, 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 no. I appreciate all that you're adding. I, I just think it's humorous. I mean, we've essentially we've gotten to the point now in Mormonism where Elder Oaks on two occasions has said like, yeah, I've never seen any special messengers. I've never had any experiences with, uh, with spiritual beings in that way. I've never seen these spiritual beings face to face and had conversations. It's when we recognize like, oh, we used to say certain things were eternal and unchangeable. And we used to have answers for how old the earth was and whether evolution was real and whether Cain was Bigfoot. And we had all these answers to every question. And now nobody wants to say anything. We're walking everything back to this fluffy space of just, you know, other than the gays, like love everybody else and be nice and serve. And and that's our doctrine now. Um, and, And these guys essentially admitting that they're not talking to Jesus. No, they don't need to. I'm sorry. <laughs> I was, right. How ironic there. Right. You know, Sometimes I think they are more businessmen and, 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 and leaders of a church. No, no, I get it. They've got to maintain a core, but that core is shrinking and that core is getting older. As you pointed out, the average age in a ward, I have to guess today versus a decade, maybe 15 years ago, I bet there's a 10 year difference now in the average age of a ward. Uh, versus, say, again, 10 or 15 years uh, in the past. Um, you talked about some of these issues, and I want to ask you a specific one. It, the LGBT issue, when, when I was a believing, active Mormon, um, I, I had a lot of ignorance around the issue of homosexuality, and that ignorance probably caused me to add hurt uh, to people in my community, if not in my ward, and I'm curious how you've shifted and changed on that issue going back to when you were both feet in, maybe more orthodox, less aware of any of the messiness. How did you handle that issue? And then how did how did that uh, perspective change over time? Well, uh, that's part of the, <laughs> the, the, the doubts and seeking the truth. Because I, I was like you, I was taught about the homosexual is, is, uh, is just against the plan of salvation and, uh, and they have to repent and, uh, and be norm, so-called normal. And, and, uh, I, you know, I didn't have any good thoughts in my mind about the, those groups of people that had same sex attra- attention and 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 uh, it was tough to to see how the world kind of supported uh, that they should be equal well well i think when i have had those doubts and uh, kind of question everything i also was interested to learn more about those people and when i listened to podcasts when i read about them i found out that boy this is this is really god creating people 
the way they are when they're born. Why should you blame them? And in my mind, it really quick, I started just to get to know some of them, and I found out they are great people, wonderful people. And not only that, you know, sometimes when you grow up, like in the church, you can only see the sexual behavior, and that kind of give you a chill. But there are so much more in their life. They 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 have great uh, views how uh, things should be decorated, how um, flowers should be. They are music uh, creators, and I mean the whole spectrum of talent that are so much stronger sometimes from from those people. So you have to have a look at the whole picture of uh, what they have and not only focus on one uh, one part of, of their lives and how they behave that. And and so and also, it's in Sweden. It's not a big deal. Uh, I mean, they 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 are quite accepted, and the, of course, there are some Christian churches and the Mormon Church that are against it, but not in that way. And many many churches also accept uh, uh, the homosexual, and some are priests, and some are pastors, and and they uh, they are uh, acting. As uh, you know, human beings being uh, the same level of authority uh, where they, wherever they do an act. So of course it's been in a sh- really shift for me as well to to accept and to to found the good stuff and the good things and the talented people they are. Yeah, once once you let invisible. Un, un, unprovable, invisible ideas go, and and you say like, oh, then there's science, and then there's you know other other data points, and then you realize like, oh, if I take this invisible thing that tells me something's wrong out of the picture, and I just look at all the data, being being homosexual is just a normal segment of a human and even an animal society, right? Yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah. No problem. And, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and and so in some ways along the same lines like at first what I had to do is I had to come to grips that um like with the data I had to like open my mind to some of the science and then the moment I became okay with homosexuality being in a society like that's normal suddenly I find that the most beautiful gifted people in my world are LGBT people. So a number of my friends today are LGBT, and those folks are the most beautiful people, the most compassionate, kind, mm. lovable, uh, caring. Yeah, they mm. the gifts they have to offer. And I think sometimes in a church that's now plateauing or beginning to lose in certain geographic locations, you would think they would want to hold on to every person who wanted to stay. Mm. So you think they would try to find space for these folks? You know, some years ago, I given, uh, I tried to give the church an uh, idea how they could manage 
to to get this uh, homosexual into the plan of salvation. Me too, brother. <laughs> and uh, I had an, a good idea about it. You know, if I ask you like this, in the celestial kingdom, how many uh, uh, um, levels are there? There's three, my friend. Yeah, the first one would be the uh, men and women sealed by the Holy Spirit of promise. Yes. And the third one? And the second and third one, we have never been told who's there. You know, the third one, we've been told it's those who are not married that should be servant and, and serve angels to the rest. Right so, who, right, so who's in that second one, Hans? That's what I told the brethren. Why don't you use imagination and the spirit to find out and open up the doors for those that we call homosexual so they can have a, a part of the plan of salvation. There are probably a lot of questions around that, but at least there would be some seed to, to, to grow something more about. But I never heard any response on it. Yeah, two things there. One is that I've done the same thing, and I've sent him the oh, same wow. idea. Yeah, I've sent him the same idea. The other idea, too, that's part of this is we have this, theolog this theology that a husband and a wife, sealed by the Holy Spirit of promise, who go to the celestial kingdom, have the powers of creation to create new worlds, right? Yeah. And yet the only biblical example we have, the only scriptural example we have, is of Michael... And Jehovah creating mm -hmm. a world, right? Two men, yeah. again, I'm not suggesting they're married or gay, uh -huh. but two men working together, creating things without any uh, women involved. You know, I can tell you, my, my wife was in primary president, and she had a picture of Jesus uh, and, and God the Father, two men standing there. <laughs> and, and there was, uh, I think it was even in the picture, uh, a painting was some two kids or so around, and they ask, who is this? And one of the primary kids said, there are two same-sex <laughs> couple take care of the family. <laughs> so, so, so in the picture in the church, they, they thought in their mind that God the Father and Jesus was uh, representing two homosexual guys. Yeah, yeah right. And And the other thing, too, is if the if the leaders could just relinquish the ideas that you and I just talked about and say, okay, there's a space there in the celestial kingdom for these folks yeah. and they can be the way they are and still get there. It still allows them to have a superiority complex. It still allows them to think they're better because they're at the top level, right? So, so yeah. elder Oaks and, and elder uh, Nelson, president Nelson and, and all the other leaders there, elder better, those guys can still feel like they're the cat's meow because they'll be in the top kingdom, right? So it's, yeah. I, in some ways, you would think like, oh, it still allows me to hang on to some of my ego. Um, but, but for whatever reason, for whatever reason, and, and it certainly isn't because God said so, but for whatever reason, these guys feel to make that change sacrifices too much in our theology that the members would perceive that something went awry and they might perceive that there's going to be more loss if they actually made that shift. That seems to be the, the case, at least in my mind. Yeah, I agree with you. I don't have any other opinions, really. I want to ask you a couple things. So I put out a little post this morning that I'd be interviewing you, and I wanted to cover a little bit of the ground 
mm. of things that other people were asking about. One of the things that somebody asked, since you've come forward, and, and I just want to say thank you. Like it's there's so much pressure in this system that when you discover things don't add up, the pressure's there to just be quiet, to just be silent. And you stepped forward. And you said, hey, there's a problem here, and I'm willing to talk about it. Mm. When you came forward, when this, you know, the Swedish, uh, Swedish rescue happened, when uh, you, know, you went on Mormon Stories, when the New York Times article comes out, and now with your book that you've written, you don't need to drop names. I, I wouldn't expect that because these people would be asking you to keep confidences. But has anybody inside the church, a, a, another general authority, another Area 70, have, have other people reached out to you privately and said, yeah, I can't put this together either. Uh, since you've come out, if, if any, has anybody confided in you from a believing perspective like, hey, I'm, I'm still in, but this doesn't add up? Actually, it's been quiet and, and nothing really. Before I uh, was um, giving out the book, before I... Uh, ask my name to be removed there were some contacts and even some of the general authorities that I have contact with asked me not to publish the book but uh, but after that nothing so people have asked you not to publish the book yes but but nobody from a no. similar position an no. area authority or higher has ever come to you and said I don't believe either no yeah and they that, that seems strange because I know but I, I can I can tell you that some of uh, I got indirect uh, information that uh, there are general authorities that are reading my book and um, and 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 they have doubts, but I don't know who they are and and if there is true or not. Yeah, I can tell you that if I was an area authority, an Orthodox believing member, and I heard of some other area authority who had lost his faith, I'd want to know the story. But but at the same time, like you pointed out earlier, there's a segment of membership who just don't want to know. They don't want to, they don't want to look into it. They just want to be happy and they just want this community. Um, but there's also a segment who needs to know the truth. They want yeah. to know the truth. Yeah. And yeah, I got to imagine your book's been picked up by a few uh, area or general authorities. Yeah. But I'm, I'm, uh, I think it's, it's a, such a hard pressure to, to even have thoughts around uh, the church not being true that they, they don't go that road. They don't do it. I mean, I told in the book how I felt when I first asked my, the question to myself, maybe the church is not true. I, I mean, so many consequences, and, and, and I can imagine that. I asked that to Martin Jensen, really. Why are you in the church? Do you believe it, or is it just that you got all your money from it? A kind of a straightforward <laughs> question. <laughs> and it, the, this, what he said was, I got the good life from it, you know. Right. It's it's given me value. Yeah. It's put a smile on my face. It's helped mm. me to feel like I'm contributing to something. Mm. And hence, I really don't want to talk about whether it's absolutely true or not. It's just been good for me. Yeah. 
Yeah, I've had the same experience. So, yeah. so I know that you've, you've mentioned, I think with John DeLynn and Mormon stories, you've mentioned that you've received the second anointing. Yes. Um, and, and I don't know how comfortable you are having that conversation. Uh, I did find it interesting. You just said you had had your name removed. Um, I must have missed hearing that in the other conversations, but that uh, is interesting by itself that you've asked to have your name removed. Did your wife have her name removed as well? Yeah, what happened was that the no, I think it was November 2015 when they come up with a new policy to the kids of uh, same-sex marriage right, that they, right. they they are not uh, welcome in the kingdom of God anymore. That was the kind of a drop uh, that that got my mind to blow <laughs> and I said to begin that this is what I've been waiting for this is give me that what excuse or the the courage to 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 step out of it this is nothing that can relate to Christ or the way he thinks about children or the love of Christ it's nothing just opposite so then what we decided that that let's get out of here so we we contacted the quit Mormon, and and we, they helped us to to get out of it. Yeah, quit Mormons helping a lot of people to, yeah, uh, to yes, get out yes, of it. Yeah. Uh, in regards to the second anointing, my impression, and I'm only asking for your impression because I don't think you you know absolutely the answer to this. But my impression is that all area authorities end up receive the second anointing. And at least, at the very minimum, all general authorities, all full-time uh, general authorities, first quorum of the 70, second quorum of the 70, as well as the top 15, obviously, uh, receive the second anointing. Do you have any any thoughts there, impressions there, in terms of how, how widespread you think that ordinance is? Uh, I think you're quite right. I think all of them had received the... the Second anointing, uh, but you know it's so kind of uh, uh, it's uh, so secret or, or sacred right. that you don't talk, so you don't really know. I just know the ones who were with me when we had this anointing given to us or, or the blessing. Yeah, but I, I I just know that there are also regular members having it. I just found out that my mother had received it and and uh, she's you know she's just a regular woman in the church yeah do you, what do you think in terms of that that ordinance that mormonism performs that it adds extra weight to the mind of that person that receives it in terms of being loyal and believing in other words to receive that ordinance puts you in the elect club. It puts you in the yeah the, the super cool super Mormon club, right? It lets you be in the <laughs> at the top at the top of the top level. Like you've gotten something that even the good members in your ward and stake have not gotten. Do you think that ordinance adds extra weight to making sure you believe and hold it together? Of course it does, because you know, as much as you have. Uh, gone through uh, sacred ordinances and give promises and blessings that it's all put a lot of weight on your shoulders to 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 uh, stay 
within those promises you you gave and and uh, I like to call it more that I belong to the inner circle uh, of of the church you know and and uh, it I think it's part of 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 the to keep to keep people in the church because you more that's what I heard when I had my doubts you know remember all your covenants remember uh, what you have promised and you know if you don't follow those you have the adversary or Lucifer he has you in your in in his uh, power and and it, it gives you an obstacle to to, to climb over as well as you have all the, your uh, social pressure from families and so on. Yeah, of course it is. And keep you paying tithing at least at all. So. Yeah. Yeah. So Tom Phillips, and I'm, I'm sure you're familiar with that sure. name. He, he was yeah. the first one to kind of talk about yeah. like, hey, I'd received this and this is what it yeah. looks like. And and he mentioned, and I'll agree, like as a as a American who joins the church, I joined the church in 1996. Mm. As a person who joined the church in 96 in the United States, um, and very aware of all the reading material out there on Mormonism, and I dove right in as soon as I started investigating to read everything I could. Mm. I understood the things that Bruce R. McConkie and others had said about the second anointing in terms of having my calling and election made sure, and that was to receive the second comforter, which was defined as Jesus yeah. now coming into the picture and saying, you know, you've made it, you've done it, you've, you know, well done, thou good and faithful servant, you've made it even before your life has ended, you've you've reached this pinnacle where I can tell you as the savior of the world that, that you are celestial glory bound. Um, when you received the second anointing, did, did you expect... Like, in your mind, were you like, oh, this is the part where Jesus comes in and I get to see him and he tells me I did a good job? Were you expecting that or no? I didn't expect that, but I did expect, and I think that's the way my mind goes, that they're the ones who re- represent Jesus, that one of the twelve, he, he is the re- representative, and he is the one who gives the blessing and, and the anointing and washing, you know. So what happens now in terms of you were blessed to make the celestial kingdom, no matter what else you did, minus, I think, killing somebody? I think that I have the good part of both sides. I mean, I don't know. I mean, I'm not the member anymore, and... Uh, I don't want to Yeah, but be that's not enough. That's not enough to cut you off, right? Like so you're you're still celestial kingdom bound. If for some reason the church is still true and the priesthood is still what it could be um, was uh, I, I guess um you made it anyway. <laughs> I, I, I can uh, give you take your name with me when I go to the Okay, port, do that. The gate. <laughs> take my name with you. That'll be good. Um <laughs> what was what was the very first issue Hans that got you thinking in your head like oh something something's messy here something isn't right what was the what was the first thing that came along i i think it was um uh that 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 joseph married uh, uh other women and young young uh, teenage years because it was so different what i was taught about the widowers and so on. Widows, I mean, and and uh, 
when the questions come uh, as to me from a stake president and I was a 70, I just couldn't understand. When I looked into it, I found out that, you know, those girls worked or served in Joseph's home, his house. So this kind of, this is the girls he see more or less every day. And this gives another perspective to, to uh, an, uh, widow that uh, didn't have any money and tried to must have some protection. I think that was the first thing, really. Yeah, doesn't it seem odd that Heavenly Father uh, continually sends young girls to work in the Smith home so that Joseph can mm. ask them to be sealed to him and to have relationships with them? Such a such a strange thing, and yet, like you say, nobody tells us these things. And no, 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 no. When we discover them, uh, it feels it feels like betrayal, and it, it doesn't it doesn't match up. Like the moment we again say, like I I don't need to believe this. I'm willing to chase the truth down, no matter how uncomfortable. To start sensing how Joseph was operating in terms of initiating these relationships with young girls, fourteen, two of them, fifteen-year-olds, mm. uh, a few, sixteen-year-olds, a few. Um, once you realize that, and then the wives of other men, uh, it man, does it? It starts to poke at you, doesn't it? Yeah, and and go behind your own wife. He yeah. he, he didn't say yeah. to Emma that uh, you know I'm kind of having affairs around uh, the girls who work for you. No, 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 no. He didn't say anything. And when it then he explained and tried to get Emma to support him. He he married once again at three, four of the girls. Uh, so Emma can see it, and he that he he already was married to. Yeah. Do you, mm. So a, a question I want to ask, and and I again I sense that none of us know. We're we're all asking this question. None of us know the answer. We're all just putting our two cents in. So I'm asking for your two cents. Do you do you think that there are members of the top fifteen that grasp that this doesn't add up? Yes. Or do you think all you say yes? So talk yeah. about that for a moment. Well, I mean, they are not different than you and I, even if they have this uh, uh, calling, even if they make special promises, even if they had a second anointing, even if they got a million dollars to start with. But I mean, they are still human beings. And more or less, there must be times when they wonder, what can I do about it? Or I think also sometimes they're thinking, I hope there will be a miracle happen soon that uh, will solve all these problems. Right. Yeah. And and I feel the same way. When I when I see these guys respond to the temple changes the way they did, the first presidency statement, as well as the video at the beginning, it, it becomes intentional that you don't want members talking about the changes. And you have to ask, like, why would they not want members no. talking about the changes? Mm. And the only reason on the table is that they don't want members seeing the contradiction of past teachings that we wouldn't change these things to present changing them and that they want new members going through to not know what the old temple experience was like. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So that's the only two motives. Mm. And once you start seeing the intentionalness 
behind their responses, it, you then you seem to, at least for me, I grasp that, oh my goodness, these guys know on some level that the conversation alone is problematic. Um, and that becomes, once you see the intent, it becomes um, obvious that at least on some level, they go like, oh, what we've told people and the way we've done things before doesn't add up. Uh, at least it feels like it's on some level there's an awareness among at least some of them. Yeah. But you've never you've never gotten obviously they're not going to give you you've never gotten any kind of commentary from any of them that you know hey yeah this this is more messy than we told people. No. See, they they don't go out like that at all. Maybe they talk. I don't even think they can talk like that to each other to each other because it's right. like. Uh, Sorry to say this, like Norse, Nazi, German, you know, they, they are scared to say things because they could be reported and they a go went gone. I mean, they, they, they are, they, they are uh, you don't know who, are, who is your friend or not. But I can tell you, they are very nice people, good people, and they try to do the best. I, I, I'm really certain that they are doing that the only one i had really had problem with was when i tried to talk to yeah packer he's dead now but he he was not easy to talk to and he was not the guy i like to work with uh, you're not the first guy i've heard that from no i mean uh, uh you know, i can tell you why what happened we were uh, uh, at the church office building being taught every year you know on the general conference and the 12 and the first president teaching us the 70s and re- do you remember when they stopped to give the Holy Ghost to newly baptized members they have to wait wait one week one yeah. week and then that should be on, on the stand and uh, yeah and, and be uh, giving the Holy Ghost and confirmed member of the church and I never really did understand that. So I, I asked Ellie Packer, who was leading that meeting, uh, what is it that we shall teach those converts during that time uh, before they got the Holy Ghost that we can't teach them before they baptized? And he just looked at me you know, and said, you know, I can't even remember what he said, but he didn't answer anything. And then after a few minutes, it was luncheon, and uh, after the lunch, I saw Ellie Packer, so I thought I'd go up and talk to him, to him again and ask the same question because I didn't think I got any answers. So he was talking to Elder Hill, um, and Packer was standing there, and I went up to him and said, I'm sorry to disturb you again, but I don't really get it. What? what why is it that we can't... Uh, uh, why is it that we should teach them? And they just get black eyes and look at me and don't that question like that. So, wow, I just felt like, boy, I'll get better run from here. And I hope I don't see him in the dark, dark night in the lonely LA. <laughs> now, I didn't like, it's terrible feeling, you know, really, really terrible. And I said, boy, that's the last time I asked him something. Yeah, we we have these expectations of yeah. what these guys are like. Yes, I can I can tell you another thing though. Uh, this is just on my mind. You know, 
we travel usually two and two. Uh, I mean, me and, and one of the apostles, or maybe one of the general authorities. And I, as a young guy, you read in the Ensaiolia Horn about how beautiful and wonderful it is to be with these uh, general authorities. And uh, in the night, we, we are invited to have prayers with them, and you don't maybe don't want to open the eyes before maybe Christ was standing there or so. You know, kind of a spiritual experience. I never found that because when I tried to ask if he can have a prayer together, no, I go to my own room and you can go to your room. So, okay. So I kind of looking forward to be here with with it one of the twelve or someone to have an evening prayer. So, but no. I felt kind of, ah, oh, I missed that speciality there. And I like to read about it in the Leahorna again. And maybe I can have the same experience, but no, not at all. Right. Yeah. The more, the more, the more you dive into this, the more you interact with people, the more you watch how things happen and the changes that come and the rhetoric that those changes are couched in. Yeah. It, the distance just grows, right? Like you just you just grow further and further away from this thing. It's not like it's a fifty fifty shot of putting it back together. It's 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 slim to none, and slim just left. Yes, you're right. And uh, I, I mean, maybe I'm a kind of a of a, a someone called on living in a distant world, <laughs> and but I'm not, or, or or like a kid, but I I don't worry about that because I think Jesus said you should be like kids and be open-minded and, and uh, be open to, to discussions and, and to answers as well. What do, you, what do you think about the future of the church? Uh, what are your thoughts on what it becomes and whether it's able to, to hang on to uh, enough people going forward that this thing can still be alive and you know, 300 years or 400 years. What are your, what are your thoughts about the future of the church? <laughs> Do you think I'm a prophet or a seer or whatever later? <laughs> well, if, if we define it in the same way that they are, then yeah, I think you are. Oh, thank you. Well, really, what I, if I have in my mind thinking about the church and what could they do, I wish, I wish, I really wish they could be really, really honest and vulnerable and say, listen, there are a lot of things that uh, we have done wrong. We have to apologize. And we are sorry that we have been hurt with so many people. And, uh, and, and uh, ask for forgiveness and kind of cleaning the, the vessels from inside and, and uh, to repent and then say, okay, let's start. Like, I think you have a saying in America, like uh, draw a line in the sand and let's start all over again. But it's hard to understand what they should do, though, because I think if if you don't tell the truth, claim, if you don't claim that you are the only true and living church and you have the all authority and the 12 apostles, I think you're losing the whole idea to being the Mormon church or the church of Jesus Christ. You you, you have to be like the, the community of Christ or something, that that you are one a part of the Christian, larger Christian family. And maybe that's that's the future. 
I think Christ Jesus is much more and better and higher than any organization. I think he is more than that. I don't. We, I don't think we even we should think about who is the true, what, where, or what is the true church. I think no, we should more focus on Jesus. And for I guess in in two three hundred years there is still as a church, maybe one a part of a of the of the Christian uh, larger family. Yeah, and I'm with you. Like, yeah. let's concentrate on being good. Let's concentrate on being uh, upright and honest and vulnerable. Let's let's do that and not concern ourselves with truth claims. Because I think the truth claims are gone. I think any person who says, "Look, I don't. I want it to be true, but I don't need it to be true. I'd rather have the truth." Yeah, oh, I'd rather yeah. know for sure, right? I like I like that. I'd rather have the truth instead of being true. Yeah, a great great thought. Yeah, and I, and I think that the church can do two things. It can continue to be dishonest, and it can continue to be rigid, um, but it's going to lose people. And it can try to be good and honest and vulnerable, and I think it still loses people because people. When, when there's not that peculiarity, when there's not that strangeness, when there's not that uniqueness to Mormonism, and yeah. the church no longer claims to be talking to God directly in this really cool way, mm. then, then people are less likely to dedicate themselves to the cause. So they lose people either way, but I think being more rigid has them keeping more tithing dollars. And so I think that that's really the motive, at least this is my hunch, that they're going to lose people no matter which direction they go, but they maintain more money, they maintain more donations if they can, if they can slowly or not at all give in to these things, if that makes sense. Um, so while there'll be a smaller membership either way, one direction has that smaller membership still giving 10% of their money. Yeah, right. And of course, the money uh, they come into the church is not only for the tithing anymore. They they are, you know, they have this, uh, they're buying building and buying and uh, have land all over the place. So I think they, they, they got some money from the development of, of uh, their, their... Right, their investments. Investment, thank you. <laughs> just... Yeah, and, and $32 billion in the stock market and tons of land, and now they're building malls and buying high-rise apartments. So the members donating tithing is becoming less of a necessary contributor to their funds as they have other outlets now. Um, and, and so, yeah, maybe they can start to be good and honest and not be so scared that the, the cash is going to drop off. Uh, by the way, I really enjoy uh, uh, when you talk about the, you, it's you call it, you call it the real Jesus. What is it you say? Yeah, the mythical Jesus. Mythical. The... I like that a lot. I listen to it. Yeah. yeah. Good. Good. I'm glad. Yeah. I'm glad you like that. Um, oh, I do. What What I needed. So maybe just having a little bit of a conversation. What I needed was to step away from all the negativity yeah. of how Mormonism doesn't add up. And while I don't believe uh, literally in the historical Jesus as a person who rose on the third day, 
I look at that story and Jesus seems to still always, you know, while Mormonism seems to always do the wrong thing hmm. for the for the wrong reasons, Jesus, even as a myth, seems to always do the right thing for the right reasons. Yeah. And so uh, it just to focus on his story allowed me to step away from Mormonism a little bit and uh, feel positive about some of the conversations that I was having and recording and thinking about and mm. reading about. So it's been a huge thing for me to step away from Mormonism in my private yeah. life and to, to be more spiritual in other directions. I can tell you, though, that I, I don't have a, a, a faith or believe that Jesus arised on the third day or so. Uh, that's, for me, is too heavy, kind of, to, because usually when you look at it, there are they there are normal things happening, but man tried to give it a special story around it and make it more mystical and than it is and 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 uh, so so I think I believe in a, in in a person called Jesus. I believe that he did a lot of good things. I believe that he were more interested to help the sinners, the the the, the poor and 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 the needy. And uh, I think that when he says like I I uh, was sick and you visit me, I was in prison and you visit me, I was hungry and you gave me food, I was naked and you gave me clothes. I think that's. Once I, I used to call that the temple interview questions, the real temple interview questions, <laughs> and and uh, that's what I believe in. If he arose on the third day, if he took all the sins away or not, I don't know. But it's it's uh, it, it it is wonderful to have, uh, um, like you said, mystical Jesus uh, and what we learn from it. Yeah, I, th I think once you realize how easy it was for Mormonism in the 1800s and 1900s to create false faith-promoting stories in an mm. age where people kept records, yeah. then you can realize just how easy it was in Jesus's day mm or any other sacred text, for that matter, the Quran with Muhammad, oh, yeah. uh, any other sacred text, for people to create mythical stories and to have those be believed uh, would have been 10 times, 100 times easier. Yeah. Yeah, and of course, people were not that well uh, sort of used to educated and... and uh, there were more folklores, and I believed. I can just look at my own grandfather when he told me as a youngster that he saw people riding horses without any heads uh, in the woods, and he saw trolls, and he saw uh, things that we just know that is not possible, but he believed in it. And not him only. That was the folklore, and people just were open to to believe in things like that. That wasn't not real. I was just joking with my friend yesterday that if Joseph Smith could go back, uh, if if we could, if he could somehow go back in time and 
redo anything again, I think he would ask Latter-day Saints to not keep good records because <laughs> I, I think that's been the, the, the nail in the coffin for Mormonism is yeah. that there's so much data, oh, yeah. right? That we can now prove that these stories didn't happen the way our church told us they happened. Yeah, that's what El Packet told us and when we were taught that don't have Don't keep them, good records. <laughs> don't, don't, don't do diaries. <laughs> because you know, oh, oh, you people looking at diaries and find out things, and 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 uh, it's terrible for the church, really, because it, right. it it's give them the opposite <laughs> or the truth. Yeah, Joseph Smith said, "Keep journals, keep good yeah. records." And now we say, "Don't do that. It hurt us too much. Don't do that." <laughs> Funny stuff. Um, let's go back to the book for a second. So tell, tell the listeners one more time about the book. And um, like, like I think, I just want to say this. I think every listener to this episode should uh, have this book on their bookshelf. And here's why. It's your, your story is my story. Your story is the story of lots of other people who one day wake up having read too much and go like, uh-oh, this doesn't add up. And that, that journey for me was fracture, it was loneliness, it was heartache, it was uh, tears, it was feelings of betrayal and loss of trust. And yet your story is also different. You served as an area authority. You served in a different country than the one that that most of these listeners have resided in. Um, So your story has uniqueness to it too. Uh, And I'm just curious maybe uh, if you could just tell the listeners, again, the title of the book and tell us where we can pick up a copy. Where are the best places to get one? Let let me start, uh, Bill, by reading a, a little little thing from the book. Please do. Yeah, that'd be great. This says here, even though I am 59 years old, I consider for the first time in my life the unthinkable in my heart. It's probably not true. It's the most forbidden thought of all. Such a thought could ruin my life, destroy my marriage, and even cause my children to turn against me. I I would be a mere fraud, a traitor, a covenant breaker, and nobody. I would be seen a weak and deceived my entire social network would collapse. It would be an embarrassment to my relatives and betrayal of my legacy. I would cause hurt and injury. Even the worst, the things that were still good would be swallowed up in an abyssy and disbelief. I would no longer be one of the chosen on my way to be with God in heaven. I, I think the words there is kind of a, a abridgment. What the terrible feeling that you had to go through or have already gone through. The book Truth Seeking is really a, a, a book that I'm written very honestly and opened and and uh, tried to give ex- what exactly what I have gone through and you know I I receive hundreds of emails that are thanking me for being strong 
to have integrity. And as you said, Bill, I can feel I'm telling their story as well. And uh, I'm so happy that so many liked it. Now, the book is for sale on Amazon.com or wherever you are. You probably can have it in UK and Germany and so on. And and uh, I hope you can read it. I hope you can like it. And uh, it means a lot to me, my family. And uh, I wish people can have feel that have support. And even if a person like me had these high callings in the church, I can tell you I still miss a lot of the church. I mean, the community, the good feelings. When you are in the bubble, you don't have the knowledge. So you don't have the feelings of being being, uh, deceived. But when you find out that you've been deceived, it is a crumbling like an earthquake under your feet. At least it was for me. No, I, I think it is for anyone. I mean, there's so many of us right now who are going through this faith shift. And uh, and I think it's everybody's story. Um, again, these stories are all unique and they have differences. But the commonality is that you were invested. You wanted this thing to be what it claimed to be. Yeah. And then you discovered it wasn't in the level of betrayal because because in some ways like you say you still love it. Yeah. You you still love it. You wished you wished it had been what it claimed to be because it was mm. so important. Um and you also raise a really good point in that part you just read which is the moment a, that thought comes in for the first time, what if it's not true? Mm. And I've had so many people respond to me. They they tell me that was when the light bulb went on. Yeah. Was the moment they allowed themselves to feel and to think what what if it's not true mm. and and at that point once you wonder that question uh again i would say out of every 100 people who ask themselves that question and start looking into it i i've got to believe around 95 or so end up outside the church yeah um i think it's significant and then of that 95 less than 1 maybe maybe a tenth of a percent of 1 uh comes back um, Hans Matson, your book, Truth Seeking, give me just a second here. Truth Seeking, the story of a high-ranking Mormon leader, Hans Matson, seeking sincere answers from his church, but instead finding contempt, fear, and doubt, and eventually peace. Uh, Hans, I just want to say thank you for your time this morning. Appreciate the conversation, and I think the world of you, and I just think you're just a solid person when I think it's Terrell Givens who, and, and it may be uh, Marlon Jensen repeated it somewhere, but I think Terrell Givens is the one who said, we're losing our best and brightest. Yeah. Uh, that, that certainly holds true when we're talking about Hans Matson. Well, thank you, Bill. It's been a pleasure to, to talk to you and uh, to give my thoughts. Go! Oh.